This is Daniel Fagelli. You're listening to the AI and Business Podcast. We've covered many complicated topics on the show over the years, and there are a few things more complicated than shipping and making and pressing and putting together all the various and sundry pieces that turn into a car. It is somewhat miraculous that we all have a vehicle, given how many components go into making them and the vast scale at which they are produced. And there are many, many complexities that go into that construction, not the least of which is sourcing, purchasing, and then using all of those different parts from electronics to plastic to metal to rubber, you name it. All of that has to be procured. Now, in the automotive space, it is called purchasing. So purchasing an automotive is basically what is referred to as procurement in other domains. And we are speaking specifically about applying AI to making smarter procurement decisions in the automotive space with the CEO of Orchestro, Ed Zagarin. Ed founded Orchestro some four or five years ago. They now operate in a number of industries, automotive being one of them. And in this episode, we cover two main topics. First and foremost, what is it about automotive purchasing that is so complex? About buying the electronics, buying the fabric for the seats, the chassis, tires, whatever the case may be. What makes that a complicated process? And what are some of the things and the workflows that actual folks in purchasing are struggling with today? And then secondly, where does AI fit into the mix? What data do we need to have access to in order to inform and make smarter decisions around who we're buying from, around what pricing we're actually purchasing at, and around the past purchasing activities of other people in our organization? A lot of these decisions are made in the dark, and Ed articulates some use cases around where AI might shed some more light around the smart procurement decisions of other team members and how that can help people make smarter procurement decisions. This episode is brought to you by Orchestro. Stick around to the end of the episode. We'll talk more about reaching Emerge's global executive audience. But without further ado, we've got a lot to cover. We've got a great guest to cover it with. This is Ed Zagarin with Orchestro here on the AI and Business Podcast. So, Edmund, welcome to the show. Dan, thanks for having me. Yes. We're going to be able to touch in on a topic that we have never before covered on the program, which is purchasing in the automotive industry. Obviously, a very big sector with some well-known brands that everybody tuned in would know, but not everybody tuned in understands the challenges of purchasing in this space. Lots of parts. We've got plastic. We've got metal. We've got increasingly electronics. And there are hurdles we're facing in this space that you're up close and personal to. I wondered if we could start off with just, I guess, how big of a challenge purchasing is in this industry. You know, it is a tremendous challenge. And I think over the past, especially two years, you have seen a tremendous impact on major OEMs ranging from General Motors, Ford, Volkswagen, and, and, and so on. The headlines have been around the semiconductor shortage, but the truth is that the supply chain and purchasing challenges really have stretched across a huge portfolio of in-vehicle purchasing, as well as parts associated with operating the factories where the vehicles are mm. being produced. and. And that's really true, whether it's just in North America, and it, it's actually been true globally. Got it. So you're drawing a distinction here. And I actually, this is something that wouldn't have dawned on me and maybe most of the audience either. There's procurement challenges with making the darn vehicle. We need seats. We need, you know, every, everything, you know, steering wheels. But also we have equipment that makes the vehicles. And as it turns out, 
those parts don't come out of the ether either. And so it sounds like both of these are sort of compounding in some way. That's entirely correct. And in automotive, and and by the way, I, I would even zoom out and say in the industries that build vehicles, you know, whether those are automotive vehicles or we support companies that build trucks, cranes, other types of equipment as well. And across the board, buses, for example, you see this this term building shy. What does mm. building shy mean? So if you fly over Detroit today, you'll see in parking lots, huge numbers of vehicles in different areas of southeastern Michigan. You see it in Kentucky, by the way, as well, Tennessee, Alabama. And these vehicles have been built shy of generally one to 20 parts. That means they've gone through a production line process at tremendous expense, but they cannot be sold to a consumer. And the cost associated with that, if you just look at September 2022, Ford Motor Company has estimated that just in the past quarter, an additional $1 billion in cost have been accrued to them from these challenges in purchasing. Huh. So building shy, so we end up with, we wish it was finished good, but it's not. That's missing a number of parts. I would imagine those have to sit around somewhere until the final pieces X, Y, and Z arrive, and then we can maybe get them in. I imagine in other cases, those pieces that are missing are so central, it almost doesn't make sense to put the whole vehicle together because we're going to have to disassemble it to even put that missing part back into it. So does all of that add to this billion cost, the the storage, the reassembly, misassembly, that, that sort of thing? Well, it does in a sense. However, that's just the cost that I, I shared with you. That's just the cost for missed revenue. Got it. In other words, <laughs> we, ha- we have people who want to buy something. We can't sell it to them because we don't have enough of them. Why don't we have yeah. enough of them? Because we weren't able to hit the production target. I imagine Ford would be remiss to lay out, frankly, the expenses associated with all of this, but it sounds as though we're not really scratching the surface on the full impact because we're just saying, oh, well, we couldn't sell this many vehicles. Well, what about the extra cost for having to open up these new storage facilities or whatever the case may be? Exactly. And 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 I'm literally just quoting from their guidance to public market analysts given in the month of September, right? So, so yep, it, yep, it, yep. it really is just the public companies that, that are automotives, they just have to give guidance on how the supply chain and purchasing bottlenecks are impacting their profitability. Got it. So, okay. And it sounds as though the reason this is hard, there's many reasons I can presume, but maybe we can go through a couple bullets as we transition into where AI fits into the mix. Some of it is the raw stuff we need just isn't isn't being made. Maybe there's a, a lockdown in Shanghai. Maybe there's some other issue with boats crossing certain oceans that are getting held up by XYZ, could be weather, could be something else. But there's also issues within the purchasing process, I'm aware, as well. What do you see as kind of the biggest forces we're wrestling with here in terms of you know these costs, these big cost numbers? Yeah, I think one of the things that I think is really important is to take a holistic view. And the holistic view understands the interrelationships between purchasing, supply chain, the procurement process, and the effect that it has on the business. And so we live in a 
you know, modern industrial global economy where, to be honest, supply is pretty elastic. In other words, if you order something and you pay for it to be built, there are people somewhere in the world who are going to build it for you. And there are people with boats and planes and trains who can who can bring it to you. And so, you know, when I hear people say, oh, there's just not enough of these, or there's not enough boats or planes and trains, I kind of go, well, <laughs> there aren't at the price that you want to pay for it, or you haven't looked at the market to the extent to, to, to find that capacity. But, you know, we, we do business across a wide swath of industries. We're talking about automotive today, but we, we, we work with with food and beverage, consumer packaged goods, even kind of specialized industries like minerals and mining and, and specialized logistics. And I can tell you that while the story you've heard is about, you know, factory shutdowns in Shenzhen or as, as you said, yeah, kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. congested port terminals, that's not the whole story. You know, because there's there's tons of factory capacity in this world. There's tons of logistic lanes in terms of getting from A to B. The story you haven't heard that that is really driving a lot of this major economic impact is actually invisible to most people. And it's related to the purchasing process. That's really where the bottleneck is happening. And I'll describe it in a very a very high level just to give you a sense of where it's happening and what what's causing it. It's a single threaded process that requires a human. So if you have a number of orders that are waiting to go out to suppliers, the suppliers can't begin making the stuff or shipping the stuff a lot of times until they have confidence they're going to get paid and the quantity and the specifications. And if those orders have a person or a set of people that are waiting to go out and there's a negotiation process, then the supplier will prioritize based off of which orders they have greater predictability and confidence in getting first. And so what happens when market volatility is that suppliers reprioritize. Some companies, Tesla, for example, went out and actually weaponized their supply chain function and bought up the global supply of microchips for a quarter, put their competitors out of business. Brilliant move. You know, and so when you you have that, the suppliers go, well, hey, we're not necessarily going to hold allocation when we have negotiators coming to us asking for a discount and we know that we have pricing power. So we'll say, we're going to take our marbles and leave rather than try and 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 come to an agreement in that moment because you actually get a lot of pricing power like with any negotiation by demonstrating that you have some of the power to dictate price in that situation if you can't come to an agreement on that then you will see consequences both sides hmm the, the weaponizing of the supply chain is certainly a phrase not yet used on the show here and, and also a whole dynamic that I'm sure some of us not up close and personal with, with purchasing are just now learning about. And I guess this starts to transition us into where AI and data can help to overcome some of these core hurdles. You know, you're, you're making the argument here that for most things, there's a boat somewhere, a plane somewhere. If we know the price, we know the routes. There's 
a factory somewhere for most things where we could have something made if we can finagle it. But there's so many hurdles in just making the right purchase in the right way. Open up a little bit the aperture around where, I guess, AI and data fit into the mix and and kind of add value to this process that probably today is pretty clunky. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I would just kind of in, in, in starting going in, you know, one of our board members is a guy named Jeffrey Amelt, and and he was the CEO of General Electric for about a decade and really has this interesting viewpoint into the value of data and the value of automation when it comes into purchasing and the supply chain. And, you know, I asked him, I said, what is one key performance indicator or number that you think is a meaningful representative of success in having pricing power kind of across your supplier base? And he said, I really look to business owners and ask of the parts and materials that you buy, what's your dual sourcing coverage? In other words, where do you have another option? in your supplier base that gives you some ability to load balance. In other words, to balance your demand across multiple suppliers and have that diversification. It's true of investing too, right? You have a diversified portfolio. Generally, you have some resiliency and optionality there. And so when you, you talk about the role of machine learning and AI, it's really about creating the benefits of optionality for your purchasing organization without the administrative process and overhead costs associated with managing that complexity. So just to give you an idea, CFOs for years have heard, oh my God, we got to rationalize our supplier base. We got to have just in time. We got to have skew rationalization, which basically means buying less stuff from fewer suppliers. And You have 30 years of that and you get supply chains that are not very resilient or quite brittle and which are so, so optimized for cost that if a supplier goes out of business or has a delay, making changes can be can be really painful. And so that's been a wake up where machine learning can really through a vast, complex network, get the right price with the right supplier and not going through a whole long approval process, but do it in that moment when the order's placed. And so maybe we can talk a little bit about what sort of data is used to pull this together and what this looks like from the user's standpoint. I imagine the user in this case is somebody involved in purchasing who can look at who our suppliers are, look at our historical pricing, look at our forecasts of the need for this part or piece in the next two months, six months, what have you. And they have to have that decision be informed and and have more information here that potentially AI can help to conjure. Talk about what sort of data sources get pulled from and then what shows up in front of this purchasing person to be able to act in a smarter way. Absolutely. And I, I think, you know, just to give you a sense of how it's done now versus how AI can change the workflow, I think it's It's important to acknowledge the number one activity from a time standpoint that purchasing and procurement teams do is what sometimes the phrase is cutting POs. You know, so what does it mean to cut a PO? Well, it means to 
actually enter in the text that goes in the purchase order. And then it means to validate that those, those entries are correct and to then get approval from the budget holder so that it can be effectively reconciled with the general ledger. And then, of course, that provides a set aside of cash that once the invoice from the supplier is received, and in some cases, once the shipment has been received, the supplier is then paid. And so that, that's kind of the process that people have for, for interacting with their suppliers. What not a lot of people are fully aware of is that the cutting POs process is actually a multi-step validation cycle of comparing, is the supplier on my preferred supplier list? Are they on my supplier master? And then have there been changes with that supplier in price over the past year? Getting that data in most companies is a painful process. It's buried in an enterprise resource planning, ERP, or a procure-to-pay system. It can be hard to make those meaningful comparisons, and there's not enough time to do it. I mean, folks in the supply chain are cutting hundreds or in some cases thousands of purchase orders every day. And so the amount of time they can spend actually doing validation on individual orders is very small. And so this is really where you have an amazing use case for machine learning and, and for AI, where you have a repetitive process with a very standardized format, but potential high variability. And then you have master data that can be used to compare it against. But the master data is no proxy for an approval because there's so much variability. So we've never been able to do that. And that's where the, the simulation comes in. So what our customer hmm. does is we simulate what the purchase order would look like. We have a, a, and by the way, we gain confidence on this by back testing our model with customers. So we divide their historical purchasing data into two sets, a training set and a validation set. We train on the training set and we say, here's what we predict, which supplier and what price you would get. And we look backwards and we make comparison between those retroactive backwards looking predictions and, and what actually happened. And the customer says, oh, well, that's very good. So if we look at purchasing today, you have, you know, the number one activity is something people call cutting purchase orders, or cutting POs. And that activity is, in a lot of cases, generating the values in the purchase order, putting in the price, the supplier, some other pieces of information, terms and conditions. And it is then getting those approved. And that typically is routing to, to different people in the organization, but it also may involve performing some validation against a master data set. For example, if you want to pay a supplier, the question often comes up, do we already do business with them? Do we have a contract with them? What is the price that the contract says? All of that type of stuff. However, there's often the case where there's no pre-existing price or agreement for, for, for what to go in and do. And that's where machine learning across the board can provide a lot of help. First of all, as a monitoring intelligence layer. Now, what does that mean? If you think about the way that we understand and consume procurement and purchasing data today, it's very backwards looking. It's often 
static images at a point in time in the past, and then performing variance analysis on values within that snapshot. And that's where you get a common metric people use is purchase price variance. And so what real-time monitoring does is it means that you have a system, an intelligent agent that is watching your purchasing as it's happening and not just watching it, but making real-time recommendations. And so, for example, if you have a purchase order that's very, very similar to one that you've spent a lot of time approving, spending the same amount of time approving that new purchase order doesn't make a ton of sense. It's probably going to create unnecessary delays. And you've already put in the cognitive decisioning work to actually approve a purchase order in the past, very similar to this one, same supplier, maybe the same price, maybe even the same part number. And so, you know, the thing that we see is people are frustrated by the amount of repetitive work in this work stream and the delays that it causes. And of course, the massive costs associated with those delayed orders. And so the ability to programmatically simulate a purchase order before it happens provides a real-time reference point that can allow purchasing and procurement teams to be super confident when they're making those fast or even batch rate approval determinations. In other words, doing a number of things in parallel that used to be single-threaded and kind of one at a time. Got it. And so seems to me like unfortunately we're we're moving at such a pace that we're not necessarily able to do all the permutations of fact checking and updating that we'd like to do before we click buy and the process is obscure it's backwards looking it's time consuming it would seem as though informing those decisions kind of the way that you're talking about being able to get a sense of how is price varying for this? What other purchases have we made from this for for this part or a similar part with this supplier, similar supplier, whatever the case may be? To pull in that information, one of the challenges is it sounds like it's siloed, it's obscure, it's not easy to put that stuff in front of our face. What kind of data do we need to integrate with and kind of hook up into in order to inform these decisions, I guess is question number one. Question number two, when we do have that data, where does it show up? Does it show up inside of our existing ERP when we plug in the AI? Does it show up as kind of a separate dashboard that we can use by analyzing individual suppliers or purchase SKUs, et cetera? Give us a sense of, of kind of how that, that works. Yeah, so I think it's really important to note, we believe that this is true of the space generally, but it, it's definitely informed and, and is how our, our customers are using Orchestra today as an embedded platform. And What I mean by that is that if you've made an investment in SAP Ariba or Coupa or Zykus or any of these systems where it's taken a long time to build your processes in them and set up approvals and all of that, the the idea of going in a different direction is is honestly a non-starter for most large companies. And that's why consuming AI has to be embedded within the existing systems, including, by the way, the ERP, whether you're an Oracle or an SAP user, whether you're mid-transition to S4HANA or you you know, are, are on an on-prem version, wherever you're at in your digital journey, being able to fix a supply chain using machine learning and real-time recommendations has to be embedded within that. Not a new app, no change management, 
no additional kind of training that users have to go through. If they want to, of course, they can get training to, to learn how to use it. Generally, we have some administrators in IT or procurement that want to have some additional information about how the system works, how to configure it. But that's that's really, really important. And then it also goes to what are the recommendations? So most of our recommendations today are on price terms, quantity, just basic kind of format, quantitative format of procurement transactions. And, and typically one of the ways that you know we create a lot of value is by recommending quoted pricing to suppliers before they submit. And that's where we see one of our customers, a large German automaker, has recognized tens of millions of dollars in savings in under six months as a consequence of of implementing this solution into their rec to pay, requisition to purchase order and then payment work stream inside of SAP. In many cases, suppliers aren't even aware that they're using this technology. They're just experiencing the ability to get a faster purchase order or a simpler, cleaner process. And we call it predictive procurement orchestration, where the process is really knitted together across multiple systems. It's consuming, to your question of what data does it use, it's consuming some master data. That data is not always clean in big companies, whether it's supplier master data, whether it's the records of what you're buying, which often is the least clean of all, all the data sources. However, it's consuming something else that's, I think, really, really important is what are your people, what are your best people? Who do they like to do business with? for what items and categories and on what terms. And so that's been a really powerful way of saying, hey, we actually can derive intent, derive intent signals from this and making recommendations that actually align with existing practices. That That's another way that we often gain some, we call it seamless uplift, where it's really just about scaling the best decisions you're already making, but scaling it to a- across your spend, across your supply chain. So, Ed, you're you're bringing up an interesting point here around intent and around modeling good decisions. You know, it, it strikes me as because these systems are so obscure, to be able to know, hey, here were the purchases that were really good purchases that we want to model. We want to do more like this because we think it's efficient. We think it's the best kind of behavior that our other employees should be modeling and, and looking after. How do we know which of our decisions were the good ones and selectively train an algorithm on that? You know, Dan, I I think you bring up a good point. Before I answer the question, I'll just, I think it's important to acknowledge, you know, every industry is really different. You know, automotive is really quite, quite a bit different from construction. And then within each of these, within each of these industries, the categories are also pretty different too, you know, buying trucking and buying parts. It's just a, a very different data model, a very different, in many cases, process within, within an organization. And, you know, so the question is, how do we know what good looks like? And then how do we use that to improve the model? You know, we have developed at Arkestro a quantitative approach to understanding and ranking transactions. That's really what goes into kind of the secret sauce behind how we apply machine learning. The good thing is, is that, you know, our our founding team came from the procurement background. 
you know, myself, procurement consultant by trade, Rob DeSantis, co-founder of Ariba. So we know the space really well. And, and that means that we're able to leverage some of the playbooks and, and quantitative methodologies around things like PPV. So PPV stands for purchase price variance. It's a methodology used to assess and determine, you know, the kind of quantitative profile and distribution of groups of transactions. And you can look at how they're clustered, what's high, what's low, and then also what's causing the variance. Is it seasonality? Is it geography? Buying different places, buying different times. And that really allows the model to take advantage of I don't want to use the word arbitrage because it's not really arbitrage, but it's really kind of thinking through that strategic buying decision of, hey, if we had if all things being equal, if we had different options, what what is the best configuration? And then generating that as a recommendation. Got it. So there is an algorithmic way apparently to approach these to get a sense of which of these are the ones we want to model, the ones we don't want to model. And then the way that manifests is in an intent score that is to say and if i'm hearing you correctly and for the audience's understanding intent is essentially some kind of a level of confidence as to how well do we know this is the right supplier the right purchase the right price is that is that a safe assessment or do you want to redefine that term you know i would i would say that yes you know broadly speaking i mean we make recommendations we make a lot of recommendations they're delivered to people often by email with a simple link and a button to accept modify or decline and when people accept good things happen you know suppliers get paid faster orders get processed faster companies save money and in many cases there are efficiencies that are shared by both parties and kind of a kind of a true win win the learnings from every recommendation are back propagated into the model in a way that causes the model to become more smart, more targeted, and then kind of you know, the ability to kind of do that at scale. And so your question about confidence intervals, I think is very salient because you know, that confidence interval is also dynamic. It's something that's happening continuously in real time. And it's also something that has a very short validation loop where we make a recommendation, we get to see if it's accepted or not. And that really has gotten a lot of our customers comfortable with the idea, hey, this is really valuable because I can see it working with my supply chain. Yeah, and you know that it's it's based on decisions by smart colleagues as opposed to some, you know, entirely arbitrary black box. Exactly. Kind of exactly. And, yeah. and that's kind of what we say. Like, look, you don't know exactly why your best people make the decisions they make. They might have to, you know, sit down and write it out for you, but you have confidence in that. And so, you know, that's really just what Orchestra does. It, it takes the best things you're already doing in your supply chain and scales it effectively to more suppliers, more spend, more categories. Got it. And I guess closing note here, just because I think it's an interesting point, you'd mentioned that these recommendations are sent out by email. You know, we've seen so many AI vendors in the last five years, you know, half a decade ago, all of the visions of AI were going to be a whole new platform, new way of doing everything. And the vendors that have actually made their way into big enterprises, you know, as, as you guys have, have often learned that 
the least amount of friction possible is the name of the game. So let's just integrate directly with SAP. And in this case now, let's make these recommendations not through some neat messaging app. Let's just kick them out via email and allow people to say yes, no, and provide feedback to the algorithm in the place where they live with their messaging already. My guess is that was a deliberate choice, but I just wanted to, to see if you had anything to comment on there. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. You know, there's a comment that some people make in the in the in the movie business, which is uh, about sound recording. And the comment is, no one ever went to a movie for the most part and said, "Wow, I loved the sound recording. That was so good." But if the sound recording ain't done right, people will say, "Wow, that sucked." You know, and to some extent, supply chain and purchasing has been like that. It's been in the background, very invisible stuff shows up and people are happy, right? They they notice it when it doesn't work, but they don't know how it works or why it works. And, you know, what I would say is we strove when we were designing our Kestro and, and we think partnerships with large enterprises for, for AI and machine learning really should work this way is people should not need to have to have a, a, a PhD in, you know, discrete math to have to understand how and why the solution works. They should just be able to realize the business benefits from it. And that's why we thought the email was so important. So you look at, for example, DocuSign, very complex product, you know, legal agreements, very, very intricate. But the experience of using DocuSign for most people is like a couple taps and you're done. And that's really where we thought getting purchasing and procurement to you know, an email, smash the button, and you're, you're on with the next thing. And that's what a lot of people want to have, and they want visibility into the process. Yeah. Yeah. And, and a lot of vendors learn the hard way that, you know, simplifying the process means being in the places where people already live, not taking them out of them, and as, as you've articulated well. And that audio quality note cuts awfully close to home, Ed, because I can tell you that that's just as true on a podcast as it is in movies. But fortunately today, despite the hurricane outside, our, our audio was able to hold up for our episode. And I know that's all we had for time, but I appreciate you being able to share yours and share some of your insights along with us. So thank you so much for being with us, Ed. Dan, you're a freaking rock star. Stay safe in the hurricane. And I'm, I'm sure we'll catch up soon. Take care. And that is all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. Hopefully for those of you tuned in, there were some new things learned in this episode. It is interesting to me that procurement is referred to as purchasing in the automotive space. And we certainly have yet to cover use cases around sourcing past procurement decisions from other internal stakeholders and using that in our decision-making process. It sort of jarred my mind as to where else, what other decisions within an enterprise would it be useful to know who else has made this decision? My guess is that goes vastly beyond procurement. So a lot of ideas in the Pandora's box opened up by this episode, and hopefully you found it as something of value. As I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, this episode is brought to you by Orchestro. If you're interested in reaching Emerge's global executive audience, we have the largest B2B AI podcast out there. So this is our ninth or 10th month now, over 100,000 downloads in the AI and business podcast, and the AI firms that work with Emerge to reach our audience 
collaborate with us, not just on podcasts, but also on webinars, co-branded research, PDF assets, lead generation, and more. If you're interested in learning more, if you're interested in learning more about reaching Emerges Global Executive Audience, you can go to emerj.com slash AD1. That's AD like advertise and then the number one. So that brings us to the very end. I appreciate you being here and I look forward to catching you in the next episode here on the AI and Business Podcast. 